0: My name is Elle, and I'm a transgender woman talking about doubt. I want to thank you for joining the program yet again. This episode will be aired on YouTube just as soon as I get it edited, and it is coming out a day late. I apologize for that, but that's kind of how life is going right now for me. I'm just on the finishing home stretch of my second master's degree in life, and uh It is uh, building up. So here we are. Um, I've almost made it now to a full year of recording uh, Transgender Woman Talking on a weekly basis. And it feels uh, like a little bit of an accomplishment, but also just um, it's been a grind as well. And also a joy and just a delight to get to meet so many new people through the show. Um, many of you have reached out and continue to reach out via email or Instagram messages. A couple people have sent me videos, which is delightful. Um, so yeah, thank you for doing that. And just, it's it's a beautiful thing. And thanks for being here on the program. Um, so like I said, I'm gonna talk about doubt and specifically, I'm going to talk about doubt about uh, our identities, doubt, uh, doubts about being trans. Um, I think it's a, an experience that's common to many trans people that doubt comes up. And as it turns out, we live in this cultural milieu, and I'm speaking specifically of American culture, so please forgive me. Um, if it's not the same in other places, but we live in this cultural milieu where uh, there's a lot of pressure on us to be right, to be correct, to, you know, when we say who we are, when we say that we're trans, um, it feels very consequential, and it feels like it's really important to be right. Part part of that is that um, there's sort of this ongoing dynamic of uh, this accusation that we are uh, trying to deceive people, especially trans women, that we're um, we're really men, but that we're pretending to be women so that we can have access to women's spaces and women's groups, um, which is absurd and not true in any way. Uh, but that's the accusation, right? That we're out trying to deceive. And so... Um, and so, you know, in that context of that accusation, it feels there, there's added pressure to have no doubts, to be crystal clear, to know exactly all the answers. And in fact, there are moments in which it feels dangerous to admit having any doubts. And uh, at the end of the program, I'm going to come back to this because this is not the first time in my life where, you know, I lived in a context that led me to feel afraid of admitting having Doubts. You might be already predicting where I'm going with that. Um, But I remember when I was early on, actually before I even fully started transitioning or before I was even out to everyone, I was having conversations with my therapist at the time and, you know, expressing to her, like, you know, what if I'm wrong? What if I detransition? What if I decide that this conclusion that I came to was incorrect? What if I you know, have a change of heart or whatever, like, you know, and besides the fact that all of that seemed extremely unlikely, um, you know, her response was like, look, if, if you end up like telling them that you were wrong and you detransition, like most of your family is going to be really, really happy because they're not happy that you're trans. So they'll be relieved. You know, there, there might be some embarrassment or whatever, but they're in, in the big picture, they're going to be happy about it. Uh, which was kind of a a hilarious observation in a lot of ways. Um, But, you know, really, trans people, we stand to lose a lot when we come out, right? We stand to lose uh, friends. We stand to lose uh, current and possibly or even likely uh, future jobs. Uh, We stand to lose... um, privilege, both cisgender privilege, but also um, for a lot of us, male privilege, Um, we stand to lose relationships, uh, our families, security, like just layers and layers and layers. We stand to lose a lot. And so again, that puts on the pressure. We need to be right we need to have this correct we need to be you know doing the right thing we need to be just excuse me as i move my desk a little bit Um, but we need to make sure that we're correct about this thing we can't be wrong we we could lose so much Um, and so you know you don't want to lose so much over nothing or over an error right and you know, another dynamic that goes into doubt is that, you know, I think that there are some trans people that that think actually that this pressure is good. And so actually, I think that some of this this fear of doubt or the, you know, existence of doubt is created internally because I think there are some trans people that, um, you know, are critical of, of so-called trenders or you know, there are some degree of the trans community that is a little bit gatekeepy of itself. Um, And so, you know, sometimes there's folks, I think, I feel like it especially comes out when we start talking about, you know, non-binary people or people who wish to or feel as though they exist outside of you know the the two gender options that we've been given, um, at least in Western American culture. Um, uh, so anyway, so so some trans people would say, well, the the pressure to get it right is a good thing because it weeds out folks that really aren't trans or that are just playing or whatever. And you know. I, I don't really agree with that and I, honestly I feel like if if the gender system that we have that we have would, were just dismantled altogether, together it really wouldn't matter because we all could just define what our gender is we could move from one gender to the other and it just it wouldn't matter but but as we have it the the gender system is built on this you know hierarchical sex based model and in any sense uh, in any case um, I think because of all these factors, because of the pressures on us to get it right, I think that it it makes sense and it's absolutely normal for trans people to have doubts, both before coming out and even after coming out. I mean, honestly, any sane person who happens to be trans, who, who tra- happens to be trans, who is existing in this context would be wise to be honest about their doubts. They, they would be wise to let them surface like any reasonable person, I think, would have some doubts. Now, uh, there are a lot of different reasons why doubts might come up, um, y- you know, that's sort of the the cultural context, but then there are also sort of immediate experiential factors um that might lead different people to have doubts and and some of these I share in other others of these uh I don't, but some of the common ones are you know if folks uh someone just you know does not pass on a consistent basis for years and years and years, and you know like ten years into transition is still being read. Um, as their assigned sex at birth or the gender associated with their assigned sex at birth um, might develop some doubts about whether or not either whether or not they're trans or whether or not they should have transitioned. Um, Inability to find a partner uh, is, I think, a common um, reason why for for some people doubt comes up because, you know, we can get lonely and you know, I don't share in that because I'm I'm someone who's married and I have that privilege, um, but I've heard a lot of you know troubling stories about what life is like if you're you know trans and on twit on Tinder, for example. Um, you know, another reason I think why some trans people have doubt is is that we can sometimes have this implicit assumption that there is only one trans narrative or there's only one way to be trans or there's one universal trans experience and and if mine doesn't match that then what does that mean about me and do I belong and am I really trans and should I have done this and etc so that's I think is is something that comes up for some people and then um, I think cultural gaslighting You know, maybe especially from Christian culture, but, you know, we live in a culture that gaslights us and uh, tells us that we're crazy, tells us that we can't trust our bodies, that we can't trust our experiences, that we're mentally ill, that what we really need to do is pray to Jesus or take a pill or whatever. And the reality is that um, it's gaslighting. You know, we have um, decades and decades and decades of... um, medical records and experience, at least in the Western world, about um, the experience of people with gender dysphoria and what treatments are helpful and what treatments are not. We have lived experience within the church that knows that there is no way to pray away the trans, to pray away dysphoria, um, and that, uh, so this is my judgment, that people who um, claim to have prayed it away, either their dysphoria was not very strong And you know, could be managed by wearing a pink shirt or a blue shirt or whatever, Uh, or um, they're lying, which is probably the more likely thing. And maybe that is gaslighty to them, but I just I don't believe it. Um, We've learned too much about Exodus International, and we've learned too much about like I know some too much about my own lived experience. Um, But we live in a culture that tells us we're crazy. You know, we live in a culture where Matt Walsh and um, the Daily Mail are making documentaries called What is a Woman? Um, that is, you know, this really hardline argument that, um, you know, sex and gender are one and the same and that you can't separate them and that they're binary in two separate categories and that there's no, um, that people can't change their sex and people can't change their gender. Um, that there's no such thing as intrinsic, uh, an intrinsic sense of gender identity. You know, there, there are threads of our culture that tell us that this is crazy. So there, there's lots of reasons why doubt might come up. Um, I want to talk for a few minutes, um, uh, you know, about some specific situations uh, that have led me to feel doubt, especially on this side of transition, um, and, like I said, you know, it, it feels a little bit dangerous to admit any of this because of the pressure that's on us to be exactly right. And, you know, for me, I'll just say on the outset that despite the doubts that I do sometimes experience, uh, I don't regret my decision of coming out. And I certainly don't regret transition. And I am happier and more fulfilled than I ever have been in my entire life and more than I really ever thought was possible. Um, And that doesn't mean it's not hard sometimes. I mean, you've heard me on this program, if you ever listened before, like, you've heard me bitch about (laughs) how hard it is to exist as a trans person and how it is to how hard it is to be visibly trans. So, uh, you know, I this is uh, the life that I'm choosing, and it's also the life that I've been given, and there are goods and goods and, bows and ups and downs, and even though I experienced some doubts, I would still choose to do what I did uh, over again, and probably if I went back in time with the wisdom that I have now, I would have come out and transitioned a lot earlier in life. Um but uh, so so here are some situations for me where I have had that sense of self doubt come up, or you know sometimes it feels like what trans people talk about, and not just trans people but all different people uh, talk about imposter syndrome, so called imposter syndrome, but just those feelings of self doubt. Um, you know, this week I got sucked into a Reddit and then a Twitter diatribe about. Um, the binary, bimodal uh, spectrum of sex and gender. Sort of this idea of that, um, you know, morphological and phenotypical um, characteristics of sex are are spread out over um, a spectrum and that they they generally organize themselves bimodally, meaning they, they kind of organize themselves into two clumps, but that they exist along a spectrum. So if you were to take like the characteristic of height, right? You would see that organized across this spectrum where there'd be an overlap and like most of the women would be you know in general shorter than men and most of the men would be taller than women, but obviously there's overlap where there's some women that are taller than men and so on. And you could apply that to um, essentially any morphological or phenotypical feature that has to do with sex whether it's um, you know uh, genitals the shape of genitals at birth you know those might be um, more uh, more pronounced but the existence of intersex people and intersex babies there's a wide range of um, morphological genitals born at birth right Um, you know, breast size, uh, the amount of hair, the amount of facial hair or not, um, foot size, finger length, like what, you know, hip width, I mean, like literally anything you could think about, um, in people's bodies, um, it exists on, in some fashion on that spectrum. And... You know, certainly as a whole, it is organized into these bimodal, um, this bimodal spectrum, and uh, this is something that this model. I'm not going to talk any about it because I'm I'm not a biologist, um, but it's been really helpful to me to identify that, um, it, it even even in terms of chromosomes. You know, like m- most male. Um, you know, people assign male at birth are XY, most uh people assign female at birth are XX, but there's a whole spectrum of variations. Um and they have you know different morphological consequences, right? There's XXX, XXY, um you know, all there's fragile X, there's all kinds of different, you know, versions. Um so um <laughs> This this idea of the bimodal spectrum is something that I learned about from Julia, uh, Julia Serrano, who I've mentioned often in the show, um, but also through Siddhartha Mukherjee, who wrote a great article in Nautilus called Why Sex is Mostly Binary But Gender is a Spectrum, and it discusses the you know, the genetic cascade that begins with the SRY gene. There's one switch that generally has an influence on like a multitude, millions and millions of other genetic switches that come below. And um, it's fascinating. Anyway, so I, I ended up in this Twitter thread where this TERF um, person was dismissing this as a concept um, and was, you know, really conducted um, the argument... It was both um, a red herring and a straw man. You know, a straw man is when you, um, you know, pretend like you're arguing against the the argument or the concept, but you're really arguing against some other version that's easy to defeat, the straw man, right? And then the red herring is when you sort of, you know, bring up this other unrelated idea that you can argue against and defeat and use that to try to say that you're defeating the actual argument. So anyway, that's essentially what was happening. But for me, emotionally, it brought up a lot of doubt. It was really unpleasant. It was really disturbing because, you know, for me, um, this, um, you know, by this bimodal spectrum of sex and um, phenotype has been really, really helpful for me in making sense of my experience and the way that I experience gender. Now, obviously, science evolves, and we learn new things, and we have to uh, leave old things, so that's part of the thing. But for me, um, you know, that's a situation where I felt some some doubt well up in me, and it was really unpleasant. Um Earlier this week, I ran into a former uh, colleague, someone who I pastored with years ago. Uh, we crossed paths at a local store. Um, this person, you know, shouted my name, my correct name. Uh, bless them. Um, and just, you know, we chatted for a few minutes, and uh, and it, and it was fine. Um, but as I was walking away from that, I felt just this, this gut kicking sadness you know this was someone that i had worked with i had conversations with i worked on a couple of projects with them um i had admired their work um and um connections with their family all kinds of things and you know this was the first time i would seen them in two years and um you know there are moments like that where um I think and feel to myself, like, what have I done? You know, I think about the losses. I think about the things in my life that have gone away. You know, for me, you know, maybe is unique to me in some ways. I had the privilege of having a full career for nearly 20 years as a pastor prior to transition. I know that isn't something that everyone has. Um, And, but I had that privilege and I had wide professional connections, this whole community um, and I essentially lost it all in a moment. I mean, the, there are some from that spiritual community that I still have connections with, but, but by and large, you know, it's like 98% uh, of those people, professional, um, acquaintances and former colleagues and people I've worked with and, um, you know, professionals in their own field. Like, I mean, you know, like A lot of life is about, you know, at least a lot of professional success is about making connections with people and, you know, not like calling in favors, but kind of like calling in favors um, when the need comes. And for me, transition rendered those relationships by and large gone. It's a huge loss. And so there are moments when I reflect on those losses, and I've talked about this in the podcast some, but there are moments when I reflect on those losses and I feel doubt come up in myself. And I'm I'm touching myself here because like for me, I feel it right here. This is where I feel that doubt and it feels uh, equal parts empty and tight. And I feel it and it's there. What have I done? What am I doing? This is crazy. That's what doubt feels like to me sometimes. There are times when um other times when I have doubt come up, it's when I'm out in public and I'm surrounded only by cisgender people. You know, like I I went on a trip a few weeks ago um back to uh the Northwest and you know, uh, I have I've, i have pretty good, especially now. Like I have pretty good queer radar. I have pretty good trans. Maybe not. I don't, you know I don't know. Like trans people are absolutely amazing, and um, we're everywhere. And you probably don't. Well, I guess maybe some of us listening. But like, I think that we see and interact with a lot more trans people than we realize because of how amazing we are. Um, but uh, certainly for me, being out in public um, where I'm surrounded by who appear to be cisgender heterosexual people, um, it can feel really lonely. It can feel really isolating. It can feel like I'm like the only one, like I'm the only one here, like and I'm this really strange, unusual person. And you know, I do think that where I was um, up in the Northwest was a, you know, a segment of the world where uh, almost certainly uh, the, the the population density of queer people is lower than in Southern California or like, you know, fucking Palm Springs where I work, which is like, you know, one of the queer capitals of the West. Um, but it feels very different. It's it's dark. Maybe maybe because I work in Palm Springs it feels so particularly, you know, stunning in that shift. But but for me, a lot of times when I'm in those environments where everyone around me seems to be cishet, it feels lonely, you know? And those doubts, you know, start to creep up. Uh, likewise there are times when I see um trans people who are you know easily clockable right uh, for me uh when i see other you know girls like me um there is often equal parts encouragement uh because it's like oh wow i'm not alone i'm not as lonely as i thought but also um A lot of times seeing other clockable trans people and I'm, you know, one of them, I'm pretty clockable, I, you know, I get gendered correctly most of the time, but, you know, I think people can kind of figure it out if they look very closely at all, um... But for me, it also brings up my own transphobia, my own internal transphobia, and I see myself in them, and I see uh, the internal disgust that I have for myself, it's my own work, and it's not about them, but... This is just my truth, all right? This is me. This is my show, Transgender Woman Talking. But I I feel my own transphobia come up, and I feel that sense of uh, disgust. And again, it's what have I done? What am I doing? I'm living my life in, in what was my greatest fear for so long. Doubt. That's doubt. Um... There are times when uh, another one. Uh, there are times when I've felt doubt creep up when I've seen uh, men who are happy, who are not terrible, uh, who are comfortable in their own skin, who are not like, you know, living. And by what I mean by terrible is like they're not like living a life of like, you know, this toxic pretending masculinity where, um, you know, you never show weakness and you can't be sad. You only can be funny or happy or serious. Um, You know, but like seeing men who are, you know, genuinely mature, strong, confident human beings who carve out a place for themselves and who are able to express their masculinity and their femininity um, you know, there are times when I ask myself, like, could I have been like them? Doubt comes up, right? W- would my life be easier if I could just find a way to be content as like this, you know, emotionally intelligent man who cries sometimes? It's doubt. And of course, the, the truth is that I was that fucking man. That's who I I was trying to tell myself that that's who I was. That's who I was presenting myself in the world as. That's who I was trying to be. I was giving my whole all in order to be content being that kind of man. And I wanted to die because it wasn't me, I, I wasn't true. And God, like being true to who we actually are instead of, like, settling, instead of, you know, wrestling with it, instead of whatever, um, it's worth so much, even with the suffering that it brings, even with the doubt that might come up. Um, You know, there are times when and I, this is, we're, we're getting to the end here. All right. There are times when I feel like I'm pretending, you know, um, there are aspects of femininity. There are aspects of performing the gender of woman, um, that are learned. And, you know, I have peace with that. Like, um, you know, I, just because I'm learning these things in my early 40s, and you know, the average cisgender girl learned these things at 8 and 12 and 14 and 21, um, it, you know, they didn't learn them any less than I'm learning them. It's just a matter of difference in timelines. Um, and the fact that I'm learning them doesn't make performing them any more artificial than they're performing of them. Right. Um, and (laughs) there are moments when that performance feels especially highlighted in me and it feels like I'm pretending and it feels like I'm asking other people to pretend with me. Again, I'm being really honest with you. Um, and it feels like at times where it feels like, you know, as much as I like to be a woman, I'll always just be a man, and um, that's what doubt feels like sometimes. For for example, right now I'm reading this book um, called uh, "We Were, We Were Beautiful," or I can't remember what it's called. "We Were How Be Oh It's How Beautiful We Were" is what it's called, um, and it's a really powerful novel, um, and it's this story, and I'm not done with it yet, so I don't really know how it com- concludes, but it's by Imbolo Mbue, and it is a uh, really just powerful story, how beautiful we were, and it's set in this, you know, fictional African village that is ravaged by um, American corporations, like, it's, it's the story... Uh, It's a story that's uh, common in many parts of the world that were colonized. Um, Anyway, there there was a conversation in one of the chapters that I just read, uh, maybe even today or yesterday, where um, you know women were very closely identified with their womanhood, with their fertility, with menstruation, with physical traits that develop along with um, you know endogenous female puberty. And, you know, many of those experiences I will never have. And it, it feels othering and it highlights this feeling of like, am I, am I pretending? Um, you know, again, um, on this trip I just mentioned, when I was up uh, in the Northwest, there was a conversation about possibly going to a water park, which, you know, sounds fun and sounds great. But, but for me, I just, couldn't do it i couldn't go i i just i wasn't i i'm not at the place where i could feel any level of confidence being in a women's changing room now i pee in the women's bathroom uh but like you've heard me talk about in this show i generally try to find single stall places i don't want to be beat up i don't want to be harassed i don't want any kind of violence um and even though, uh, technically speaking, the women's changing room is where I belong, I also would, at this point, feel really, really uncomfortable and really, really scared. I'm a pre-oper- preoperative trans woman and, um, you know, I can pass pretty well when I have clothes on um, but that the thought of being in that space feels terrifying. And that, that for me, brings up this sense of, you know, like, imposter syndrome. And there's this common phrase amongst, especially trans people who are, you know, their eggs are just cracking, or they're just trying to make sense of, of where they are. And, and they ask the question, you know, is wanting to be a girl the same thing as being a girl? And for most trans people, they would say, yes, yes, like... This is part of the reality, and, and that's the kind of, you know, ideology that Matt Walsh and other turfs uh, condemn. That they have, you know, this more of this spirit of, you know, gender essentialism or gender, um, you know, intertwined with sex. Um, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of experiences of that cisgender people have that trans people don't share and it leads to some doubt. You know, Uh, I love how Lizzo actually answers that hypothetical question is wanting to be be a girl. The same thing as a girl, you know, in the in her song, like a girl, Lizzo, look it up uh, like a girl. There's in the refrain in the bridge, she says, if you feel like a girl, then you're real like a girl. And I listened to an interview, actually, where she was talking about writing that song. And she said that that's her favorite line on the whole album. And it is uh, an incredibly powerful and affirming one. It's one for me that helps soothe some of these doubts. That I belong with women. And that my experience as a woman is different from many women. And it overlaps as well. And it is valid. Oh my God, I just spilled this whole cup of water on my desk and on my keyboard and mouse and everything. So I had to have an emergency toweling session. But um, (laughs) so to come to the end of the program, I wanted to end uh, kind of where I began and, um, you know, talking about how it feels um, unsafe to have or express doubt. And, um, you know, when I, when I first moved to California, I moved for a, a, a pastor job. I moved down here to take a job as a lead pastor of a church. And I, uh, it was something that I had hoped for and wanted for many years. And it felt so exciting and validating to be invited into this, into that place. You know, at that time, I didn't know I was going to be transitioning. Um, I thought that I could be content living as a man still at that point. I hadn't gone through like you know, suicidal ideation and all that kind of stuff, really, at that point, just, you know, lots of depression, lots of dissociation, but I was, you know, still kind of limping through life, and, you know, the first sermon that I preached when I came down here to Southern California was was a sermon about doubt, very first sermon, very first one, and I told the congregation that it's impossible for you to have faith unless you also have doubt, It is impossible for you to be faithful to God. It's impossible for you to be a good person, to be a good Christian. It's impossible for you to have a spiritual life unless you also have doubt, which in a lot of ways felt like a really unpastorly thing and a scary thing to preach. But I believe it with every ounce of my heart and soul, and I still believe it. And, you know, it might also be true that part of being trans is also having doubt and that you can't be trans unless you have doubt. And in fact, honestly, uh, you know, if if a trans person I ran into never experienced doubts in their life, I, I might myself wonder if they're being a little too Pollyanna, if they're not really, truly being honest with themselves or if they're, you know, compensating for something or they're covering ups or something because I, I think that the experience of doubt is like part and parcel of being trans. And so if you're someone who has experienced doubt, whether you're early or late on in transition, welcome, welcome. Doubt is part of the experience of being a trans person. Thanks so much for listening. My name indeed is Elle, and I'm a transgender woman talking. You can reach out to me. Uh, There's an email address in the show notes. Like I said, this episode uh, has been videoed and will be up on YouTube this week. Um, Always, I am uh, eager to hear your uh, constructive feedback, suggestions for the show. Um, I'm working on hopefully getting some interviews uh, of folks uh, in the coming weeks. We'll have some other people on. Um, kind of expanding uh, the scope of the transgender woman talking. Maybe we'll have transgender people talking or just people talking about transgender people or maybe just people talking in general. I don't know. Um, But thanks so much for listening once again. And uh, this is Elle saying goodbye. I spilled a whole cup of water